0: Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at BYTE.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with BYTE. There are nearly 20 million
1: military vets in the U.S. And each week we focus on their stories. This is CBS Ion Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Ion Veterans. I'm Navy Vet Phil Briggs reporting for ConnectingVets.com, America's website made for all military veterans. Now, today we're going to hear the epic story of how one veteran was forced to fight for his life and after exposure to toxic burn pits while stationed in Iraq. And as if that wasn't enough, he had to fight the entire state of Texas, the courts, and eventually Congress, and the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, as we record this, one fight is finished, and it ended with a Supreme Court knockout. And the final chapter is about to be written, where thanks to the fighting spirit in Leroy Torres and his wife, Rosie Torres, who is a force to be reckoned with, healthcare and life will be a little bit better for every veteran of the global war on terror. Rosie, good to see you again.
2: Hey, great. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's always an honor to to join you in conversation.
1: <laughs> I know, no doubt. And we've had some tough ones over the years uh, with respect to trying to get benefits for burn pit uh, victims, for trying to get benefits of those veterans exposed to the toxins that are in so many of the fighting environments that we've been around this world. And I don't know what made me want to just do the whole story from start to finish. But I think that as we looked at the recent Supreme court decision, I wanted to reach out to you because I feel as though there's not enough people that understand the story of one family of one husband and wife duo. And obviously Leroy army veteran served in Iraq. We'll get into that. Um, But as you and I were just joking beforehand, um, your force was the one I first encountered in talking about burn pits. It was your attitude and your not giving up kind of spirit. <laughs> um, and, and, and as we joked just before we hit the mic here, um, you're not a veteran though. And uh, just uh, share with me a little bit about that. When people ask, you know, are you a veteran like your husband, Leroy?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always gone against the grain. So Lyra and I always joke about it. He's like, no, I think you would have done, done great in the military. I'm like, no, I think I would have been kicked out <laughs> <For> questioning <laughs> policy. You know what I mean? Like it's always been, yeah, I've, I've always, it's always just been instilled in me. Right? If there's ever an injustice, uh, anywhere to, to, to not just sit idle. Um, so yeah, it, it, it wasn't a choice, I think, for me to, to just sit back, right? I, I I started working at the Department of Veteran Affairs when I was nineteen years old. Um, so it's I think it's just something that was, you know, it resonated in my heart and my soul to help these amazing men and women. And uh I never thought in a million years that I would be, you know, I would be the co-founder of an organization that, you know, helps veterans and assists veterans and their families.
1: And has done something and achieved something which we'll unpack during this interview that no one in the history of military veterans has done. And uh, so that's why I want to say tip of the cap to you and all those that were involved in the Burn Pit 360 mission. First, let's rewind from the very beginning before the lung issues happened, before the deployments. It was you and Leroy, young in love. He was an Army reservist and a Texas state trooper, of course, got deployed. And uh, take me back to the very beginning of this whole movement.
2: Yeah. I mean, I like I said, I was working at the VA and they were mobilizing people and he shows up in his patrol car because, you know, back then, I don't even think they had body cam. So they get away a little bit more with, uh you know, taking a left here and, and stopping by the office and saying hi. Right. Like dropping off food or whatever. Anyway, right. uh, so he swung by and, and he had this look on his face like, I don't know what what uh, just kind of this this. Look, that I already knew what he was going to tell me. And he's like, I'm getting deployed. I have to, it's time for me to go. So, you know, left to Camp Anaconda, Iraq. I remember clearly, uh, it was probably around Christmas time where he, uh, said that he had been quarantined at, at the base at, at, at the fob there and that he wasn't feeling well, but I didn't think anything of it until he came home. So when he got back, um, we immediately ended up at the ER. He was coughing and just wasn't feeling well. And his dad was on hospice at the same time. It was a really tough time for us. Um, and so I, I think he tried to hide the most he could hide from me as far as symptoms goes. So when he was symptomatic, it was mainly at work. And then slowly I began to see the symptoms. I began to see the signs. And the one incident that, really sticks out in my mind is when he collapsed on the bathroom floor and he was gasping for air, couldn't breathe. So, you know, I, you know, just being the person I am, I'm like, I started Googling, like, are are there people dying? What is happening? Like, why is this something that we can't get answers on? And so really the burn pits ties into the SCOTUS and the SCOTUS ties into the burn pits and I'm not going to go there yet, but it was his employer who forced him to find an answer because as we went through the healthcare systems within DOD and BA who all sort of said that this is a somatoform disease we went everywhere I mean poor Leroy I really I really you know sort of pushed him for us to go through the experience to prove a point right like Let's go to all the DOD hospitals, let's go to Bamsey, let's go to the Air Force base, let's go to Audie Murphy, let's go you know, we went everywhere and everyone had the same attitude. But again, I did it to collect enough proof to show that we were he was being denied care.
1: So that's the inspiration for the Burn Pits three sixty movement, denied by VA, told that these lung diseases from burn pits were all just, I don't know, in his head. I mean, just truly horrible the way the VA has treated veterans suffering. Uh, Later, we'll talk about how that got a law eventually pushed through Congress to fix the injustice. But uh, while you're dealing with the VA's misdiagnosis, Leroy's also now fighting the Texas Department of Public Safety, trying to keep his job and maybe not as a state trooper, maybe doing another job. And it's something that they're legally required to offer him. So tell me a little bit more about how they mistreated him. I mean, did they just offer him a BS job or did they, you know, force him out of working there entirely?
2: Well, it's really tough because we're still in the middle of our lawsuit. Right. So, yeah, it's I have to be careful. (laughs) We still are. We're now at the phase where we're going back to Texas to argue the merits of the case, which is what Uh you asked me. Right. Um, What I can say is. You know, they're the reason why we went to seek care. Um, I, and I think this is something that's been discussed before. It's, he did say, I'm a commander of a unit in the army. I have my master's degree. Give me a job. If it's not going to be on the highway, accommodate me with one, right? Find me something that I can do. Because like you said, like Leroy, uh, went to the academy when he, when he left the army active duty, it was because his dream was to be a trooper. And he was not going to give up. And he told me, he's like, when I was a little boy, I used to scribble on my folders, little army men. And I mean, I, he was like from elementary school, he said, I'm going to be in the army and I'm going to be a state trooper. And he accomplished both. So, you know, it, it was, it was that, that childhood dream and went through the rigorous academy, uh, to accomplish that. And only to be, you know, now in a position where The agency he fought for was turning its back. And so, you know, poor Leroy, like he, I was handling the DOD medical board and the VA compensation claim, which then led to changing law and he was handling the DPS case. And I think not only Leroy, but a lot of men and women go through this for the guard or in the reserves where they're questioned or leadership just doesn't understand or whatever company they work for, they're like, Oh, you can't be taking off to go to war. You can't be uh, going to um, what, what do they call it when they have reserves.
1: Yeah. Like your guard duty. Sure. Sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. So a lot of companies, you know, claim just, Oh, we didn't know about you, Sarah. Well, it's your job to know you own a company and you run an agency. So a lot of heartache, right. For him. And like I said, for many men and women, Who experience the same kind of like discrimination where they're like, oh, you're gone again? What? What? (laughs) Yeah, I volunteered to defend this nation. Like, what do you think I'm doing at the beach? You know, It's, it's ridiculous.
1: Now we're talking with Rosie Torres, the founder of Burn Pits 360, a military spouse and one hell of an activist. Now, after her husband, Leroy, an Iraq combat veteran and former Texas state trooper, became ill from the toxic burn pit exposure he experienced in Iraq, VA doctors refused to acknowledge his constrictive bronchiolitis was real or even somehow connected to his deployment. And the Texas Department of Public Safety violated his rights when he returned from war and sought to continue work in law enforcement. The case would eventually make its way to the U.S. Supreme Court where the Uniformed Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act of 1994 would be challenged. But surprisingly, it was the state of Texas that would fail Leroy Torres first. The state of Texas appellate court was like, "Uh, we think that law is unconstitutional. (laughs) It was made by Congress. How mad were you guys when the Texas appellate court first said that? I
2: was so mad that I went and bought a billboard and put up on the highway. If you haven't seen it on the Internet. It says trooper, uh, Captain Torres fired by DPS due to war injury. And that was my way of giving them the bird. You know what I mean? I was like, let them drive by that every time they go to work and let them, you know, let them, um, reflect on that billboard for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, look, the governor, uh, the reserve organization of America was amazing and standing in the gap for us. Uh, thanks to, uh, General Phillips. Uh, Major General Phillips uh, over at ROA for, you know, not only supporting the billboard, but writing to the governor, you know, asking uh, twice in two letters saying, do something. You know, this is someone who served our nation and our state, uh, a citizen soldier who deserves our support. Like, what are you going to do? Should we not find him in the morning? Who should we blame, he said, right? That was like, goosebumps all over like damn Mm. and uh and it was it was it it was silence so when the Texas Supreme Court sort of washed their hands and said yeah not our problem we don't care we don't have to hear it we don't have to tell you why we don't want to hear it I was livid and you know Leroy's a man of faith and 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 so am I but but him more (laughs) and so he's like you know I, I have to put my trust in God and And all that. So, so we did. And, and our lawyers were amazing. And thankfully we had Arnold and Porter who reached out to our attorney and said, Hey, we want to help pro bono. Can we help?
1: And so that's how the legal momentum got past the state level and really got this into federal appellate courts and, and eventually rose all the way up to Supreme court.
2: Yeah. Listen, we, um, We worked closely with the lawyers and um, the lawyers told me in the end that they'd never seen anyone work so hard for their case like we did. And so thankfully, we were able to organize a a congressional letter of support from Congressman Castro, who led the letter, and uh, Congressman Ruiz and all these members of Congress that were saying, hey, like, this is unjust, you know, you need to address the issue. And then the letter of support, you know, I was making calls all the time. I'm like, after seeing lyric put a a shotgun in his mouth, that changed my world. So I said, I need to fight this until I have no more fight in me. Like, I I can't leave any stone unturned. Like, it has to be all or nothing. And so I was constantly calling the lawyers, like, what do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? What do you need? What'll help? Like, tell me. And I'm on the phone and I'm, you know, just ask asking God for wisdom and making it happen. And so it so, had not been for this amicus briefs from all those amazing attorneys. Uh, there was attorneys over at UT Austin. There were just random people that we didn't even know and had never met, but were following the story, realizing that, you know, our national security could be at risk if we don't have people in the guard and the reserves to defend our freedom. So to defend the country, um, So it was more than, it wasn't just about Leroy at that point. It was about our our forces, right? Like our nation's forces being, you know, put at risk to the point where like, why would people say, yeah, I'll sign up uh, knowing that I may not have a job when I get back, you know?
1: Amen to that. Now, while all this is going on, you're also fighting the VA and medical experts trying to get the benefits and the care and treatment that... He desperately needs. Share with me a little bit about the nexus of that fight, because this is where it really gets huge. Because this is not only changing a legal system or fighting a legal system; you are now fighting for healthcare, not just for Leroy, but for every single veteran of the last twenty years. This is huge.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have a document from the VA that says uh, you do not require lung biopsy. You know, you don't. We don't. We don't recommend one. We don't feel that you have a lung issue. Um, this is just a matter of anxiety, somatoform, whatever. And at that point, we didn't really know a lot of people in that space. It was really just us, right? Um, and really the look of our kids, because I, we, when we go to San Antonio, I'd have to bring them with us. And a lot of times they spent with family because we were, like you said, uh, you know, going around the country trying to find answers, but, um, but it was really that look on their face. I remember my son who's in the army now, he said, Mom, what are we supposed to do after the DOD doctor said, sorry, uh, you know, we don't have proof that burn pits cause this kind of lung issue. Uh, He doesn't qualify for the stampede study over at BAMSI because he's been back too long. Sorry. Have a great day. And my son looks at me and he was in junior high and he's like, what? He was like, what do, you, what do they mean, mom? Like, did you just go home and die? Like, what happens and I said, what happens is that we're going to do something about this. We're not, this is not okay. We're not just going to go home and let them die. Like, don't worry, son. That's what I told him. Don't worry. We're going to do something. And so it was from, from that experience of doctor after doctor after doctor saying, you know, this is all in your head. And then finally meeting someone like Dr. Miller, who is the champion of this issue, who went to bat for all these veterans has testified time and time again before Congress to say, I discovered this lung disease and it's real. Stop ignoring these, these war fighters, these veterans doing the lung biopsy, having to proof, constrictive bronchiolitis, it's a progressive lung disease due to toxic inhalation, uh, fibrosis of the lungs, whatever. I filed the claim because then at that point he'd already lost his job. We're dealing with the army and we don't have any income anymore at that point. We're just like, what are we going to do? And the letter I got back said, uh, there is no code in the CFRs for this lung disease. So therefore, you're rated at 0%. So I don't know how I got a hold of somebody, but I said, are you kidding me? Like We sent you a lung biopsy showing you specific verbiage. And he said, look, ma'am, don't shoot the messenger, but until Congress says so, This is what you're going to get. And I said, okay, well, then Congress is going to say so. So that's when I took up the fight, did a lot of -of out-of-pocket visits to epidemiologists, toxicologists, who, who I took. I printed so many policies and binders on toxicity and stuff that DOD had released and took it to these doctors. And they're like, the latency period can be up to 20 years, uh, If I'm reading this correctly, you need to go and start a registry, start collecting names. And, and I did. And so that's how, that's how that started.
1: Mm. Again, that describes sort of the genesis of what we now know as burn pit 360, and a tremendous movement that again, took hold with all the VSOs, the register got awareness within the veteran community, um, media outlets covered you. You started doing a lot of interviews, um, even myself, I remember speaking with the VA's Dr. Patricia Hastings, who kept telling me that according to a thousands and thousand page study from the National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine, uh, that that the toxic fumes from burn pits are not connected to causing diseases like Leroy's. I remember the anger creeping up the back of my neck going, what do you mean? They don't cause cancer. The, you can't do this in this country for that exact reason. I mean, how did you, how, well, like, you can't burn like that in the open in any congressional district in the United States of America because it's illegal. Like, at what point did you want to almost storm the castle and bring a brigade with you to burn the house down when you yeah. got those letters from the VA?
2: Yeah, I really knew because... I was part of those meetings, you know, I went before the National Academy of Medicine. I went to the Defense Health Board. So I don't know who they interviewed or who they used as far as data for the academy stuff. But I do know that because they didn't have declassified air samplings on the effects of combustion burning, they were never going to come to the conclusion that it was connected, right? It was just like, Mm -hmm. oh, we did this study when what? The burn pits were already shut down? Like you were doing air samplings when they were turned off, when they would like, because sometimes they turn them off. I think like they had generals fly in or whatever. This is all from engineers, you know, top officials who then later were like, we have this remorse, so we want to make it right. Let us tell you what happened, right? Wow. So we had some powerful people coming forward, giving us information. So, yeah, from the get-go, when the academy's report came out, I was not surprised. Uh, but I was pissed. I was like, this is – and we all knew it. We're like, of course, they're not going to have conclusive data because they're not taking into consideration that when you burn a 100 chemicals, what happens, right? Yeah. So we had a lot of people working behind the scenes. We had so much support to fight the medical study from the National Academies um, that I I don't think that the secretary or anyone ever imagined that we were mobilizing a community of people affected.
1: Such scandal that the damn VA would find a scientific organization to say something that is so obviously wrong. Burning jet fuel and computers and tires is okay to breathe. We know that can't. Be true. And if I sound animated, it's only because I want to get to the next chapter here. And that is because you found somebody equally animated who was truly capable, I think, of helping now add the top layer. And nobody, nobody burned him down vocally better than TV show host, comedian, and, uh, you know, award-winning lobbyist activist, John Stewart. How did that partnership get started?
2: Years before this you know when I actually thought of the idea of calling him um, I had pulled the air sampling from 9-11 I found it online and I'm like gosh these chemicals look so familiar like they look like the ones on the air sampling from the one that was released by BA. and so three years ago Lira and I were watching the news and I saw John and John talking and I totally were like we really need to get a hold of these guys like look what they did for the 9-11 community, like if we could, if we could call them and talk to them and convince them somehow, like maybe it'll help us somehow, maybe. And so I I called someone over at that news station that I knew, is there any way, like does he have a person I can call? Like, do you know if he has like a manager or like who? Uh, and they're like, you can call John Feel. like John answers his phone. There's a number and he always picks up. I was like, oh crap. Okay, well, let me do that. So I call Feel. He's like, John Feel. <laughs> this is <his> phone. John <laughs> Feel here. Hey, how you doing? I'm John Feel, former firefighter. I I, I took on Congress and got uh, benefits for all the
1: firefighters at 911.
2: Yeah. So he answered and uh I, you know, pitched it. And then he's like, yeah, look, send me everything you have. And so I started just shooting him videos and documents and whatever. And he talked to, he's let me talk to Stuart. So some time passed and, And I was like, hey, have you heard anything, heard anything? And then he's like, you know what? John said, yes, we'll we'll do it. We'll help. And I was like, oh, okay. What does that mean? Like, okay. I just said, all right, wonderful. Let me know. And then I get a call from, uh, an email from a, I don't remember. It was like a New York congresswoman. And they were inviting me to a meeting to meet John in Washington to discuss the issue. And yeah, that's how that happened. It was just an idea that came to my mind and it was the best choice we could have made. You know,
1: that is awesome. Share with me one moment from the beginning. Was there one kind of moment when you knew like you really had a champion here or you had some optimism with Jon Stewart on your side? Was there like a conversation in a hotel room or a conversation outside of one of the Congressman's office where he's like, we're going to get him. We're going to fight.
2: You know, it was when, we went to tape at his studio in New York for a PSA and Leroy had had a really tough night the night before where, you know, it was those twice where he's like, I'm just tired. Like I don't want to be here anymore. And he's not that kind of person. Right. He's always been like a fighter, uh, a, a very resilient person who, who's always up for the job, right? Like before the war, he's always just been this very positive person, but you know, war, it it weighs on you physically, mentally, emotionally. And so when I walked in the office, John said, Hey, how's Leroy? And, and, and we'd had a very tough conversation. Leroy and I were, I just hung up crying because I'm like, what, what, how can I help save you? Like, I don't want to lose you. And when I got to the studio, I was honest with John and I'm like, you know, John, like, this is the reality of this shit. Like, I don't know if sometimes I'm going to find him in the morning. Like, I don't know this. It, and it sucks to say that because you don't want to give up. Right. But you get tired of being told, you know, no, 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 no. <laughs> From everywhere you turn, it's like, you don't have enough proof. You know, we took away your job. There's no, there's no CFRs. <laughs> there's no nothing. Like, you're just left on the cold. Right. And he said put him on FaceTime. So I FaceTime him and 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 John told him he's like Leroy listen buddy I want I'm making you a promise. He's like we're going to fight this and we're going to win and 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 that's a promise I'm going to make you and I'm I'm not going to break that promise. And I remember taking a picture of them talking and it's hanging here in our headquarters. And Leroy always brings that up. He's like, this man right here, this patriot who made me a promise three years ago, he never broke his promise. So, yeah, it was that moment where he made Leroy a promise, which I know meant he was promising all all the warfighter community. It wasn't about Leroy, but it's that moment when I knew, man, this guy's the real deal. Like, this is the epitome of, of the American patriot where he doesn't have to do this shit. Like, he could with his family on vacation or something you know what i mean like yeah yeah, that's the moment i knew
3: and they don't need to be put through another bureaucratic process and another clerical process they don't need another study to determine whether or not it might not be that healthy to burn everything in sight 24 hours a day seven days a week next to where you're sleeping we know it because you're not allowed to do it in the united states of america
1: That is what I wanted to hear because I I felt it in every – time we've gathered at the Hill and every time I've seen John just do the press conferences on the, on, 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 on the days, I didn't even go cover it because it was just an incremental chess move. It wasn't like something that was final that day, but John still travels down, you know, John Stewart and John field, jump in their SUV. and They drive down here from New York every month, or it seemed like almost every month and they were there behind the podium. And you just felt it from Stewart. You just felt this raw energy of, I took on Congress over my firefighter buddies that died in my backyard in New York City and were denied benefits, and I won. This is the same fight. This is the same thing, and I'm going to fight you again, Congress, and we will win.
3: We dug burn pits. Some of them 10 acres. They burned 24-7. Everything, every hazardous waste was piled into them. And what's the common... Uh, uh, ingredient jet fuel jet fuel as the accelerant at ground zero jet fuel as the accelerant in these burn pits and so our veterans live 24 hours a day seven days a week next to toxic smoke dioxins everything and now they're being told hey man is that stuff bad for you I don't know we don't have the science Bullsh-. it's about money
1: Now that's still just a little bit down the road. Let's fast forward to just a couple of weeks ago. Did you know now that the again Leroy's fight with the Texas state troopers and you know t- the Department of Public Safety there? Uh, did you know that that was crescendoing and getting all the way to the Supreme Court a couple of weeks ago? Had you were you aware yeah. that they were going to review it and that the announcement was going to be made? Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, you know, when when the Texas Supreme Court was like, "Yeah, we don't give." A sh-. Right? Cause that's really right. what the message was to us. We don't care. Uh, th- then they asked us like, Rosie, it's a 1%. That's why I say it was only God that, that orchestrated it all. And, and I'm not ashamed to say that because when they told us, they said it's 1% chance of it even being heard. So do you even want to go through the whole process? And we're like, look, <laughs> I pulled a shotgun out of my husband's mouth. Hell yeah, I want to go all the way.
1: Now, when CBS Ion Veterans returns, we'll hear the dramatic Supreme Court decision.
2: Get a call and they're like, Are you sitting down? Rosie, they're gonna hear the case. I'm like, what? Because most cases just get thrown out. They don't care, right? Right. The, the United States Supreme Court is very selective on which cases they, they hear. And then I was like, okay, like, you know what? We beat the odds of the 1%. And then and then that's man, from there it was like, holy cow, like man, okay, so it could be that they just shoot it down. So when they said we're going to hear it, we were told that there was all these amicus briefs filed. And then I think it's a solicitor general for the United States, if I'm saying that correctly, the title, I'm not sure, um, was going to also argue five minutes out of the total time on, in, 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 on behalf of Leroy, like in support of Leroy. I was like, what? Wow. Okay. They're giving him five minutes. And then we also found out that it was the only case they were going to hear that day. They gave just one day for Leroy's case. They knew it was big, right? Because again, this is, you're talking about the defense of the country. Like that was the argument all along. If we say that their jobs are not protected and that this is, you know, part of law, federal law, then what are we telling our service members that that we can't guarantee those protections? So yeah, we I already knew. We already knew it was coming. And we even have it on on, on uh we have it we have it recorded when we got the decision that day. So yeah, it it's the anticipation so cool. is crazy. <laughs>
1: Can I just ask real quick, like, I, when a Supreme Court hears a case, do you get to sit in on that and watch them all in their robes and their, you know, white wigs or, I mean, I don't think they wear wigs, but you know, were do you, do you watch them do it or do you just hear about what happened when it's done? No,
2: usually, usually you, you do. Well, what, when, when they, when they initially argued the case, our, we all went up to Washington, except because of COVID, we couldn't go in and everyone's like, what? It's your case, Leroy. Like, why can't they take you in there into the chamber? But my plan was to put two chairs outside of SCOTUS and just sit out there on the steps, but it was so cold. So we were over at the reserve organization of America surrounded by all the team, uh, Grand style, all the burn pit veterans, everybody was there with Leroy just surrounded around a big conference room. Listening to them argue the case. That was very powerful. And then the decision part also, you know, was I think on all the decisions, they released them online and then they're tweeted out through SCOTUS blog. So you know what I mean? They're like in real time being released. So there was no sense in us going up there. We hopped on a zoom call with Arno and Porter and our lawyer, Brian Lawler, and we were on pins and needles. I mean, I, I told them. Hit record because I want this on tape. Like I want this for my children and my grandchildren. And, um, it makes me emotional because it was either like, will Leroy continue to live because he'll have such a heartache because it'll be like the same situation that we're living in now or, or is God going to grant him his prayer because he's been such a man of God and, and a faithful servant. In that space, it was was either like your world's going to come crashing down or things are going to get better from here. It was gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching. Oh,
1: I can only imagine. And then as if we needed further proof that God is good. Five to four, the U.S. Supreme Court says that Texas, you must honor you, Sarah. Again, the Uniformed Services, Employment and Reemployment Rights Act of 1994. No state gets to pick and choose which federal law they want to uphold. If it is passed and it is law, state of Texas, you got to play ball You've now won 50%. Let's go back to healthcare. Let's go back to trying to get the Congress to force the VA to treat veterans who are sick and dying from breathing in toxic air, which is illegal to do here in America. But is Congress going to force them? Is Congress ever going to force their hand? And this is where I found this especially interesting. As you and I have been together and covered this throughout the last couple of years, you know, there's been the Team Act. There's been the PATH Act. There's been all these different pieces of legislation. I've heard from Senator Tester. I've interviewed Representative Takano. I've heard Senator Gillibrand. Uh, We've covered all these things in each time behind the podium, outside the U.S. Capitol they're in that little square on the southeast side of the capitol dome there um we've stood there for press conferences in the cold we've stood there in the heat we've stood there a while do you remember the one time that what was it the the people of the house or the senate were like making a promotional video on the damn stairs and they were like <laughs> in the background and you couldn't even hear what the speakers were saying it's
2: a joke. We have- Party that was on the steps of the Capitol,
1: <laughs> like making some stupid social media video while we're trying to talk about a bill that needed to pass. Eventually, all these bills got merged into this honoring our pact act. Um, share with me a little bit about the final push it, it born in the House, gone to the Senate. And then the Senate needed to pass it to send it back to the House, right? Is that is that kind of where it went? Share with me a little bit about the Pact Act, how it eventually got merged with a couple bills, and what you think is in this bill that the Senate just passed.
2: I mean, it was it was it was a challenge, and and I know John's talked about it before because we didn't have we had two bills, you know, we didn't have the full VSO support on presumption initially. Because they're so conditioned to going with, right, the status quo, it's or the much- path
1: of least resistance. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, and and so that was that was tough. But I think what they realized was that John wasn't going to go away, and neither were these families whose loved ones were sick and dying. We began to have so let me let me back up. Um, so there were all these bills being created with their own you know focus on healthcare or this or that um and eventually when we got the attention of the ranking members and committee chairs of these you know veterans committees uh it, it, they then took it into their own hands and said okay we got it from here uh let's do something about it and get get a bill that we can all agree on so you know, there was some negotiating back and forth about, like, why do we keep these presumptions and what do we do with those? And since John had done the Apple TV show, he really put pressure on the secretary. So it was a matter of, like, House, Senate, HVAC, SVAC, and VA all trying to now finally communicate and agree, like, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, the VA had said we're going to be releasing these presumptions while Congress does their thing. I know, so finally, I was seeing these conversations taking place when 13 years ago, no one wanted to talk about burn pits. You know what I mean? Like, everyone was just like, oh, here's this little Hispanic woman who's talking some nonsense about some burn pit. You know what I mean? Um, so to see that, that momentum, it was such a relief. But it, it took, man, it took a lot of work. Tears, trips—you know what I mean. Pulling up your sleeves, pushing back against, you know, like you said, a lot of resistance on the side of D.C. and how things are traditionally done. So, you know, thankfully we had John to say, like, you know what? Whoever opposes this, let's go have a rally in their district and 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 mobilize their constituency there. I mean, in North Carolina, I don't know if you saw, we had a we had a <laughs> the style brought a marching band and we marched right up to the (laughs) Senator's office. We did everything we could um, to, to make sure that we had something that, that was impactful and wasn't like low hanging fruit type of, you know, bullshit legislation. Like we, we needed something impactful.
1: Yeah. Let's boil it right down to where we stand today. This bill was a combination of several bills all put together coming out of the house, got to the Senate A lot of horse trading, as you'd mentioned, a lot of meetings, a lot of senators looking up into the gallery, especially when it got to the SVAC, the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. I listened in on that one. And even at that point, Rosie, I didn't believe it'd go through because I was listening to like the guy from North Carolina say, well, he still wants to get his TMAC looked at. And another guy acting like, is it really okay for the VA to be or is it really okay?" Remember the one senator that asked, is it okay for Congress to be pushing the VA on which way to move? on supporting veterans like he didn't even he questioned Congress's authority to even do that. And I was like, oh,
2: yeah, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of discouraging conversations happening at these committee hearings, and they would never really take the time to listen to those that were sick and dying in the audience. You know what I mean? Like they never gave that opportunity, which is why the why the press conferences were so important, where we were able to john john and i to organize those uh cnn interviews and fox interviews every time a new veteran came up we were able to organize that at the press conference to have them speak and then have them on with like jake tapper or fox or pbs or whoever uh so it was a lot of organizing behind the scenes uh where we were selecting right like okay like Let's have this person on. Let's have that person on the next press conference. It's a new family. Because initially it was always like, oh, Leroy Torres, Leroy Torres. I'm like, it can't just be Leroy Torres or they're going to think this is just this one guy saying he's sick.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
2: we actually created a space where veterans were comfortable enough to tell their story, to take out their phones, a document at home, you know, those last moments of their life where they're like, hey, president, we need your help.
1: Mm. And, you know, to that, I'll never forget the most powerful thing that brought Breonna Keeler to tears on CNN was uh, Staff Sergeant uh, Michael Black. Uh, Wesley Black. W- excuse me, Wesley Black, uh, who said he was the canary in the coal mine. He said okay. cancer is going to win, but I'm going to make as much noise as humanly possible before it does. And I mean, that, I mean, I watched her, you know, I mean, she's married to the military as well, but I watched her tear up on, uh, you know, live network television, and 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 it was it a beautiful is. thing, and it was because of the fight that you started. So here we are now today, Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson, honoring our promise to address the Comprehensive Toxics Act of two thousand twenty-two. Uh, that's a long name of the Pact Act, which is the one that the Senate just approved, and now it is going back to the House for final approval and to be sent to the president to be signed into law. Where are you on this PACT Act now? Does it do enough for the veterans suffering? Does it presume enough cancerous conditions and enough enough diseases? Does it do enough for the veterans of the future? And do you believe it will pass the House and end up on President Biden's desk?
2: I, I think it does enough for now, right? I don't think anything's ever enough because they deserve more than than what we can offer them. And and we're still discovering and finding, I mean, again, look, we're 20 years, so things are still surfacing as far as conditions and illnesses that we just have never seen before. Um, but that's why our registry plays such a key role in, in creating policy and law. We took that data of things that were being self-reported because we would never in a million years have access to the VA registry and we created a list that we knew people, you know, there were, it was at a high rate of being self-reported. So the glioblastomas and the constrictive bronchiolitis and the outer immune diseases and all these things that we felt were pressing. Um, but like the World Trade Center pro uh, health program, it's It's going to be a repeat of that where we're going to just still be working on things to be added at a later mm-hmm. date. But I'm proud to say that, you know, we never negotiated, uh, at the expense of people's lives. Like we never said, oh, okay, we started with 23, fine, we'll take three, we'll take 10. We were like, we want all 23 in there. And we got them. Right? So, so, but what I am disappointed in is that here we are, uh, you know, with, with such a, um, amazing support from the Republicans. Uh, the vote was, you know, sort of unanimous, right, on the Senate side. And then for them just to come back and say, oh, there was a technicality. It was a blue slip error. And and time's ticking. They went on recess, and now they're back, and we haven't heard anything. I texted John and John earlier. I'm like, people are dying as they figure out this technicality, you know, hold um, on. So
1: let me get this straight. So the Senate passed the bill, but then told you later that that pass was invalid and they have to so vote
2: again valid. or. Yeah, it was valid. But then for it to go back to the House, they found some blue slip technicality issue, which I'm still trying to figure out what the hell that means. Um, and then apparently Senator Toomey uh filed an amendment I haven't seen the amendment but he's against the bill because he's saying it's too expensive so I don't know how all this process works when you pass a bill and you have technicalities and then you have amendments they're it, it's being drawn out right it, the process it seemed like we were almost there that's why John Stewart has been tweeting and we're all tweeting like tell to me cut the like people are dying, and he's more concerned about cost. So, I I, 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 there are a lot of questions to be answered, but they're stalling, and I don't know why. I don't know what is happening at this point. I, I couldn't tell you.
1: Oh my gosh! So it's almost as if, like, football analogy. We've driven ninety five yards. We're at the five right now. Yeah.
2: And there's a, they, they paused the game. I mean, the game has it's paused, and so I've I've tweeted and John's tweeted. Um, what the hell going on, you guys? Like, people are dying. This is, you know, and they know it, and they've. That's why John has tweeted out, uh, you know, calling Toomey out. Um, and I'll actually read to you, uh, what he tweeted. Uh, he said, "But while I have your attention, could all of you please ask at Pat Toomey why he is single-handedly stalling a veterans' health care bill that passed with huge bipartisan support." over a technicality asking for 3.5 million vet friends. Thanks. That's from John Stewart. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, we won on the Supreme court. We have some more fights ahead of us, mm-hmm. but what I thought was just going to be, Really, I i literally, Rosie, thought we'd stick the landing with this interview that like, oh, procedurally, it just has to go through the House and a few veteran there, you know, a few veteran representatives will help push this through the House. This (laughs) interview now ends with a twist, and that is there's one senator standing in the way of this thing even moving forward after all the work, after over a decade's worth of work and research, and all this stuff you've put into this. One guy is holding the damn thing up from even moving to the house, and our government lets that happen because of this blue slip, stupid technicality.
2: Yeah, it's crazy, and that's why, you know, we were trying to strategize earlier with Tim Jensen at Grunstall, like, what do we do? Like, you know, why is there, like, crickets? There's silence. Where, where, Where is everyone at? I knew they were on recess, so hopefully, um, hopefully, we'll have more answers either this afternoon or tomorrow. Um, yeah, I mean, there have been emails sent this morning on behalf of some of the VSO saying, How do we move forward? What do you need us to do? Who do we need to put pressure on? You know, it's not okay. And so, my message is as they wait and figure out their technicality bullshit or strategy, people are dying. Right. So um, how do you say that to these people who have no benefits right now because they screwed up? Like, how does that happen? That's not Mm. okay.
1: Well, I can hear the messages pinging in your background. I want to thank you so much for telling me the entire story from start to finish. We are now on the five-yard line, but, Rosie, I have no doubt you will get to the end zone with this. I have no doubt that this bill will become law because you are involved. You are a fighter. Leroy Torres is a fighter. And, you know, when I titled this thing Torres versus Texas and Torres wins, I, I, I can't wait to say Torres. Versus the United States Congress and Torres wins because I know we are going to get there. So, uh, Rosie, Leroy Torres, Burn Pitts 360, uh, just uh, best of luck. And we're going to continue to track this for you.
2: Okay. Thank you. Take care now. Okay. Thanks.
1: All right. Just a quick update now to kind of end this podcast and show you where where we're going. Immediately after I got off the call with Rosie, I reached out to Senator Pat Toomey's office. I heard back from his communications director, Amy Hasenberg, and after my request to get a Zoom call with him and get an update about this legislation, well, she writes back, hi Phil, unfortunately this week isn't going to work for an interview. I'll let you know if something changes. No, it wasn't. I'll let you know when we can do it. I'll give you some dates. Maybe we can look at something next month. It was just like, I'll let you know if something changes. That's the DC and the political way of saying, you're not getting an interview. You're never going to get an interview. And we just don't care. Now I write back, look, I totally understand. But, you know, I need an interview. This is a complex subject. I want to talk more about it. She writes back, we are unable to make an interview work at this time. Below, there are several resources that should be helpful to you and your audience. She sends me a YouTube link about the senator's speech regarding this budget gimmick that was inserted into the PACT Act needing to be changed. She writes, here's a quotation that may be helpful. Senator Toomey is asking for a fix to prevent the PACT Act from being used to increase spending completely unrelated to veterans by $400 billion over the next 10 years. CBO has confirmed that the fix would not impact the expansion in benefits in the underlying bill by even $1. Now, this is another part of just the political speak that is complete BS to send in an email. Instead of standing in an interview and discussing this so that veterans and listeners like yourself can actually hear this, they give me some vague statement that says... PACT Act is $164 billion expansion of mandatory spending. It is also $116 billion expansion of discretionary spending. This is what was agreed to transfer to mandatory spending. However, since the Toxic Exposure Fund was drafted overly broad, it also enables a transfer of $390 billion in current law discretionary spending to mandatory. This is what we do not believe is appropriate. Okay, I don't even know what I just read to you, and I've read it three flipping times. And again, when pushed, I get no on whether or not Senator Pat Toomey will come on this show and to help explain, help dumb this down. I didn't go to constitutional law class. I don't understand discretionary versus mandatory. I don't understand how it gets put in there. I didn't see the verbiage to it. All I know is I've got vague statements from a senator who is too chicken to be on this show. Either that or as comms director, Ms. Amy Hassenberg, you are preventing this from happening. A fair explanation that warfighters who have served, sacrificed, and many of whom have died, waiting for this bill and you're throwing around YouTube links and quotes I can attribute to your office. Well, thank you very much, but that's not good enough. I'm not a kindergarten teacher. I'm not here to read to the class. I'm here to interview people who make a difference. Now, as of July 18th, the House has revised the PACT Act and sent it back to the Senate. And as of July 18th, I am still waiting for Senator Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania to come on this show. He, along with 13 or 14 other senators, voted against the PACT Act. I'll take any one of you guys to come on this show and explain to me how much longer veterans need to wait. But we promise you this you will be updated. And I know Rosie Torres and John Stewart and John Field will see this through to the very end. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs, reporting for ConnectingVets.com. And I'll talk to you again next time when CBS Eye on Veterans returns.